Today on City Cash Chicago, the dust has settled and we got a new mayor from the west side. Inglewood residents protest a save a lot in the neighborhood, and the reader has named the best podcast in the city. I wonder who it is. Here to break it all down and more, the host of Good Evening with Pat Whalen, Pat Whalen, and producer extraordinaire Simone Alisea. It's Friday, April 7th. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is what Chicago's talking about. Speaking of those people who existed outside of maybe, how, oh my God, what a beauty, what a beauty, but does not like to be, oh, wants the little handshake. Oh my God, it's so cute. Handshake. Oh, please give me attention. Oh my God. Oh God. Good morning, Pat. Good morning, Simone. Welcome to the podcast. How y'all feeling this morning? Spiffy, really well rested after <laughs> sleeping for almost 24 hours once the election concluded. Thank you so much for having me. Always a pleasure to be on the CityCast with you, Jacoby. I also had a great sleep, Pat. We're like we're really on the same wavelength this morning. Mm. Yeah, I haven't hit it yet. I, I have not been sleeping for a very long time. I stayed up all day after we got up at 5 a.m. to put them results down. You know, I'm going to catch up on it eventually. I'm going to catch up on it eventually. Uh, one of the things that I've been excited about this week is there's a new movie out called Air, which is about the debut shoot from none other than the Chicago Bulls legend, Michael Jordan. And that original OG Air Jordan 1 is arguably one of the greatest shoes of all time. But I wanted to ask the group, not necessarily about Jordans or even sneakers, but I wanted to know what your favorite shoe is that you own. Mine is the top three Air Jordan 1. It's sort of a mix between the classic black and red Jordan and the royal blue and black Jordan. Uh, and they sort of like mashed them together into one shoe. Pat, I want to start with you. What is your favorite shoe that you own? My nickname in college by my friend who was a big sneakerhead was Scuff Tips because I didn't take care of my shoes and I still don't. I got my Timberlands that I got probably five or six years ago and the tips remain scuffed. But they are heavy duty shoes and they've gotten me through a lot of puddles here in Chicago. So I'm going to go with my Tims. Classic Tims. It's almost time to put them away. You know, summer, you can't be walking around with them sweaty Tims on my G. You know, you'd be surprised. <laughs> but yes. <laughs> uh, so I want to bring you in here. What is the favorite shoe of yours and uh, your, your small collection? Yeah, I'm not a really big shoe person or a big fashion person for that matter i'm very very practical about what i put on my body i gotta say uh i i will put in a plug though because i feel like this is a controversial opinion in the world of sneakers i'm a new balance girl i love my new balances they're so comfortable they've got great arch support May not always it ain't controversial the- no more, G. It ain't controversial no more. I feel That's- like they're getting cooler and cooler as, as mm-hmm. time goes on. We have finally made it to the end of the 2023 municipal election cycle. Uh, and let's be real. The Chicago City Council looks different, but most people are talking about who will occupy the fifth floor come May 15th and inauguration, and that is none other than Cook County Commissioner Brandon Johnson. Simone, you and I got up 5 a.m. in the morning on Wednesday to bring those results to our listeners, but even before that, Pat, you and I sat down Monday at Good Evening with Pat Whalen to talk about this long election cycle, and now we're on the other side. How are you feeling about it? 
I'm really just pleased that it's over for one. That's for sure. Um, see, you guys got up early Wednesday. I got up early Tuesday to help open up some polling sites. So I had to get right home after the show and couldn't hang out long. And, you know, I feel like a lot of folks were just like, we're going to have to wait for results to roll in, right? Tuesday's mm-hmm. going to happen, but there's a lot of mail-in. There's a lot of early that still needs to be counted. So we're probably not going to learn on Tuesday. So I went home and trying to fall asleep and failing, just put on Perry Mason and said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to put myself through watching the results. And almost two hours after the polls close, I start, I'm blowing up. I mean, I'm getting texts yeah. from everybody that are like, this is wrapped up. It's over. A concession so speech is soon amazing coming. to see. Yeah, 944. Paul Vallis concedes. So it was pretty amazing to watch. Um, but yeah, it, it, is, it is nice to see that the election is now really over. Uh, and we can move forward with, you know, I'm interested to see who's going to be on Brandon Johnson's transition team. But, Pat, I want to ask you, because, again, leading up to the election, you sat down with Brandon Johnson on Good Evening with Pat Whelan and were able to talk to him. But in addition, you did a lot of coverage about his opponent, former uh, CEO of CPS, Paul Vallis. Forty nine percent of the vote, you know, as of Tuesday night, they were separated by somewhat 13, 14000 votes. Were you shocked it was going to be that close, uh, given everything we had heard leading up to the election? I definitely thought it was going to be close, uh, just because all the coverage was definitely telling us that this is going to be a very close election. Uh, something that jumped out at me when watching the night of on WGN, because um, I did switch over after I started blowing up, um, was that you know the analysis uh, from Tamon Bradley, I think, was you know, what Paul Vallis has done is really tripled down on the voting block that he knew he had secured and that he would retain. And he worked on retaining it. But what Brandon Johnson did is turned out a lot of people who are not a part of our analysis, you know, who either don't vote or haven't voted or weren't registered or registered, but don't vote. It's part of the reason why I couldn't watch. Like, I was just so uncertain that I was like, just call me when the dust settles. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? But um, I mean, I I was. I was surprised that it happened that quickly. I'll tell you that. Yeah. I, but we knew it would be very close. Speaking of those people who who showed up that maybe analysis didn't account for, I mean, if you look at between 18 and 44-year-olds, you saw an increase of some 30,000 voters who didn't participate in the February 28th election. And when I looked at some analysis from the tribe, one of the things that they said is when they talked to voters in the run-up to election day, uh, you know, a lot of us kept having this question of like, you know, when you look at Paul Vallis's record, you see his, the fact that he had never won elected office. In the run-up to the election, a lot of people were saying, well, maybe that won't impact him. But what people were hearing from voters was like they weren't buying what he was selling. They didn't believe that he could sort of turn around uh, the the future Chicago public schools. They didn't believe that his plan to sort of just rehire police officers would have a real impact on public safety. Obviously, a lot of people still believed in that. Uh, Simone, I want to bring you in here, right? We still have, what, some six weeks until May 15th. You know, what do you expect from Brandon Johnson over the next six weeks? Do you think he will kind of continue that momentous out every day talking with the people that he did during the campaign season? Or do you think he'll sort of fall back, start picking his transition team, looking at people who will be in his cabinet? What do you, what do you expect from uh, the mayor-elect? Well, yeah, I think as Pat mentioned, like that transition team is going to be really key. Who is he asking to advise him on different issues affecting the city? I I don't know that we have any sense yet of like who those people are going to be, what what big names we may or may not hear. um, But I'm sure we will in the coming days and weeks. Another thing, too, to think about is he's probably going to be taking meetings with current elected officials, both uh, our current mayor, uh, Lori Lightfoot and Governor J.B. Pritzker, among others, you know, after it was called on election night, you know, they 
put out statements saying, well, you know, look forward to working with you on your transition, you know, moving forward, all that kind of stuff. So probably is going to be taking meetings with with some of those folks and fi- like they're going to be sizing each other up and figuring out how are they going to work together and what's that relationship going to be like. Another thing that I am watching out for and uh, our friend Natalie Moore at WBZ wrote about this um, you know, Vallis got some endorsements from some of these really big uh, black political figures in Chicago, Bobby Rush, Jesse White. And I think what I am really watching is how those folks are going to now adjust um, following this election. I think when those endorsements came out shortly after the February election, there was sort of some chatter and some questioning about like, what what is it that these folks are trying to say? Like, what does this mean about the black electorate in Chicago? And then what we saw on election night is that black wards on the South and West sides both turned out for Johnson. I think one thing that's interesting about those two people you named in particular is that prior to their endorsements, they were already out, right? Jesse White will no longer be the Secretary of State. Congressman Rush will no longer be the leader of the 1st District. But now it seems that, politically speaking, they're on their way out. That these endorsements that they made did not speak for the constituents that they largely represented throughout their time in political office in Chicago. And that a new day has emerged, right? Again, we've talked so much about it that the groundswell, the ground game that we saw from Brandon Johnson, a lot of that was led by the young black and brown organizing community in Chicago. I saw Brandon Johnson sitting down with folks like the Hood Wazi, sitting down with Bella Boz and the tribe, sitting down with Tanya Lozano and Healthy Hood Chicago on the West Side, sitting down with the Queer Arts Collective, right? And so at the end of the day, what I got from those endorsements is that those inter- those individuals were more interested in sort of status quo policies. And now I wonder how history will remember Rush and, and Jesse White. Again, two um, monumental political figures, both in the black community and in the larger narrative of Illinois and Chicago. Uh, but I don't think people are going to forget those endorsements anytime soon. With such a huge election, all of us know this to be true. Uh, it's hard to keep up with the other stories happening in the city of Chicago. So we want to make sure we make time to talk about those under hype stories, the stories that definitely need the same amount of attention this week. Uh, Pat, what was the story you want to make sure people didn't lose track of in the, the momentum of this election? Yes, uh, I was very much attuned to the fact that a working group uh, that was started uh, after the consent decree was released by the federal government, um, Mayor Lightfoot uh, started a group in 2020 that was tasked with assessing how well the Chicago Police Department was integrating that consent decree into their work in the community. Um, It's the second report to be released, and it came out March 2023. And honestly, in a race that is so you know, defined centrally focused around public safety. Yes, Mm -hmm. on crime and public safety and what that means for who. Um, I think that it was very surprising to not see more coverage of this report. The fifth concern of which there are, I believe, seven or eight, you should definitely check this out. Concern number five is CPD training teaches officers how to cover up and justify unnecessary and illegal police violence. So that's mm-hmm. not great. And, you know, I didn't see either campaign talking very much about this, probably because it's a very controversial issue, even during the campaign. But it's an underreported story. There's such a huge tension in this city already between, well, how do we get 
you know, more effective policing. Some say we need to dismantle. Others say we need to reform. But what's interesting in that conversation around reform is they say, well, police need better training. But one of the things lost in that conversation is, well, what is the type of training that police officers are getting now, right? And that's one of this one of the things this report brings to life. These individuals actually looked at some of these training materials. They're not just looking at the consequences and saying they need to be trained better. They actually looked at the videos and said, oh, these individuals are being taught the us versus them mentality out the gate, right? They're being taught that their lives are the most important in interactions with community members. And they said when they talk about training videos, there is no sort of perspective of the community, right? It, it is all sort of officer-focused um, training. Literally, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, but that's literally one of the, the concerns of the report specifically mm -hmm. is that the community is simply not a part of this process. Yep. It, it's a culture within the department that when you go out in the community, you should be scared. You could die at any moment. And, you know, policing is a dangerous job. I don't think anyone can argue with that. But you also can't argue that it's good to go out in a community you serve and have your head on a swivel all the time and, and consider everyone a threat. There has to be a happy medium that we can reach with this. And the Justice Department clearly thinks that is true as well. So, you know, it's a new day here in Chicago, and I'm interested to see how they integrate these uh, suggestions. Exactly, which are a part of a larger federally mandated set of reforms, which whoever Brandon Johnson chooses as the new superintendent of the Chicago Police Department will be tasked with working through and largely against, you know, members of their own union that are not huge fans of these reforms and have fought them. Um, for many people in Chicago, they'll read this report and they'll just say to themselves, we already knew this. We're living this every day. We've experienced this as somebody who has experienced police aggression, police brutality. You know, I didn't need a report to tell me this, uh, but it is good to have this paper trail to say, as we continue to demand more accountability, we're not just talking out our ass here. And, and we never have been. Simone, I want to bring you in here, right? While we were discussing the results, there was a protest happening in Inglewood uh, about a forthcoming grocery store on the same site as the shuttered Whole Foods. Uh, what, what is the story here? You know, we may all recall that when the Whole Foods in Inglewood was shuttering, like this is a big deal because, you know, Anytime a grocery store is closing in a community, that's a huge loss for that community, right? I know there were so many issues with the Whole Foods as well, but but you know, the, there's a that that that's going to be a big loss. What then happened was this uh, company, Yellow Banana, which owns um, several Save a Lot stores, said they were coming in and putting a Save a Lot in that same space. From the beginning, that that plan was met with quite a lot of resistance from uh, people in the community uh, in that neighborhood. Um, and now what what is happening this week is they had planned this sort of soft opening type of event for a group of Englewood neighbors. And that was met with and shut down by protests outside of mm -hmm the the what will be the new save a lot um as i understand it you know folks in that neighborhood really don't want to save a lot there there are a lot of questions about the quality um of save a lots in other parts of the city uh feeling like it's sort of a a lower quality grocery and there's a lot of question there's a, a big feeling among the people who are at protesting including uh some older people who sort of feel like Yellow Banana isn't working with the community, isn't talking to the community, isn't isn't sort of meeting them at their level. Um, you you know, representatives from the company sort of came out, uh, addressed the protests, and sort of said, you know, 
okay, we get it. We're not going to have this event. Um, you know, we will work with you more moving forward. But of course, like when you get that promise in that moment, I think if you're someone who's out there protesting, like it's kind of hard to like, is that really what's going to happen? Are you really going to listen to me? You felt like you haven't listened to me up to this point. So how do I exactly. know you're going to, how you're going to listen to me now? At this point, we still don't know when that save a lot is going to open. They haven't given an opening date, but it's just this sort of, um, you know, in the ongoing conversation about where people, where we can get food in this city and in neighborhoods mm -hmm. where there aren't grocery stores, it's very difficult to find fresh produce and healthy food. Um, this is just sort of another uh, uh, battle that's that that's going on. To give Yellow Banana some benefit of the doubt, they were one of the recipients of a, a pretty large grant to rehab South and West Side Save-A-Lots around the city. They have this brand deal, which means that they have to open a Save-A-Lot, even though they themselves are not sort of directly from the Save-A-Lot company. Uh, and as somebody who lived in the community in South Shore, where I shopped at the Save-A-Lot on about 71st, 72nd in Stony Island, plenty of times, I will say, it was the worst grocery store in our area. The local mart was way better over on 71st and Jeffrey. The Whole Foods right here on 51st and Lake Park was way better. The Mariano's further down on 35th. And so while Yellow Banana is a, you know, a black owned company that's trying to bring more grocery stores to neighborhoods that have long asked for fresher foods, for cheaper access to produce, they have a uphill battle to fight because the brand of Save-A-Lot has just been trashed for so long in our communities. I would walk into that Save-A-Lot. The meat section was almost always empty and the things that were there looked like they had been there too long. Now, again, in Yellow Banana's credit, they weren't the owner of that Save-A-Lot and have since, like I said, gotten money to rehab. So they've tried to partner with with black owned businesses to run the bakery and the coffee shop. Dion Chicago Dream will have a presence to, to help that save a lot, provide groceries to, to people in the neighborhood. Uh, so I wonder how this relationship is, is going to work out. Well, and I think there's a couple things going on. One thing to remember about the whole Whole Foods thing is that was a years long process to get that Whole Foods yeah. there that in, that involved a lot of negotiation with community. We're going to hire from the community um, and and. Right now, what's happening is, you know, we're not necessarily seeing those same things with the save a lot. And I think it's really exactly. I, I think it's so tough when you've you spent all that all those years negotiating with one grocery store for them to then up and leave. And remember, that was also like a rapid turnover of like, OK, the mm -hmm. Whole Foods is closing. Uh, you know, I think that's quite a lot of whiplash and, and a loss Agreed. and and a lot of a lot of uh sort of deeply held uh, held over issues um that are kind of now falling onto this new grocery store the soft opening was planned for yesterday and was canceled and we'll continue to pay close attention to this um over the next few weeks to see what what is the future of this location Every single episode of City Cash Chicago ends practically the same way with some good news to get through, get people through the rest of the episode, through their weekend. Asma, I want to start with you. What is your some good news for the people? And you always got something that really is good news for your damn self. I love it. <laughs> well, okay. A couple things. Number one, I'm just excited for the fact that we're, the weather's supposed to turn. We're supposed to get some good weather uh, this weekend and next week. Um, 75. So Five degree day is coming Oof. soon. 
oof, it's coming. We've just had to, we had to go through these big storms and such a, I feel like it was very chilly this March. Uh, so I'm looking mm-hmm. forward to that. Um, but, uh, Another thing that I'm doing this weekend, that you're doing this weekend, that the whole City Cash Chicago team is doing this weekend, is um, we are putting together an episode where we are trying to have the most fun Chicago day for $50 or less. Uh, we are we are putting this episode together as part of a, a personal budget week that we're that we're doing in Hey Chicago in the newsletter and on the podcast, and it's a competition. And everyone knows how much I love competition and how much I want to win. And so I think we have some just, deeply competitive people on our team. Like Sydney's we really do. face was just like I. I'm not gonna. I'm. I would crush you all. You should have seen us trying to discuss the rules of this particular competition, dear listener. <laughs> it was. It was very intense and very, uh, very detailed. So my good news is a proactive, forward-looking. Uh, uh, I'm excited to win. That's all. I'm excited to win this competition and have a really fun day on the cheap uh, in Chicago this weekend. And if you also want to participate, feel free. Uh, it is simple. Pick a side of the city, south, west, like east side, north side, and your goal is to have a day of fun and your max that you could spend throughout that day is $50, right? How much can you get in your neighborhood, right, on your side of the city for $50 or less? And then go ahead and leave us an email or call us and leave us a voicemail at 773-780-0246 describing your $50 or less day of fun. Uh, Pat, I want to bring you in next. What is your some good news for CityCast folks? Man, it's really tough to choose, but uh, I think uh, most women sworn in for any Chicago City Council in history in May mm-hmm. is some pretty great news. You know, we, we've had a great run, Jacoby, running the planet, but I, I think we've made <laughs> some mistakes along the way, and I'm always excited uh, to get some some different perspectives in the mix. Um, I, I also think it's really good that the, the youth turnout, I mean, I have to mention this mm-hmm. for the election, going from the general to the runoff was just an astronomical rise. There's so many organizations to attribute to this rise. Um, and also, you know, just the youth themselves, right? I mean, give them credit yeah. where credit's due. Yes, a younger, more diverse, six Black, Latina, and Asian American women replacing veteran city council members. All of them were men. Uh, I'm interested to see how this new city council starts the process of building relationships with uh, Brandon Johnson. Uh, because if they if they work together, they have a great opportunity uh, to bring in some groundbreaking legislation in this city. Um, but but again, we we've always heard it. Uh, it takes political will. And so let's see what that is uh, for our new administration. Uh, My some good news for the CityCast listeners, um, you know, I don't think it's a shock to anybody listening that CityCast Chicago has just done the back to back when it comes to the Chicago Reader's best podcast in the city. Uh, You know, I I just want to give a huge shout out to our team. Lead producer Carrie Shepard, producer Samal Alisea, our newsletter writer Sydney Madden and Hey Chicago finished third as the best newsletter in the city as part of their Best of Chicago list is number one in our heart. Uh, but I just want to thank all of the people behind the scenes who make City Cash Chicago possible. But every single person who is listening now, the people who come up to us when they see us out in public, the people who have shared it with their friends and family. We've been here for two years and we're we're only growing. We're only getting better. We're only trying new things. Um, but this truly has been one of the joys of my life doing this show. Uh, and I'm glad that it's been received uh, in the ways that it has. 
Pat, I want to give you a huge shout out for joining us and for all of the work that you have done in the lead up to this election. Your coverage has been fantastic, uh, and I'm grateful that you allowed me to be on your show earlier this week. And Simone, I mean, you've been on the podcast more this week than you have ever been on in a row in this entire two years. Uh, and I know that people want to hear more and more from you. So thank you for making time for us as well. Oh, thanks, Jacoby. Before I let you go, I've already thanked our entire team. I want to make sure I also give thanks to headquarters who provide us with the resources to continue to make this show. I got to show love to the people who make the music that we love on this show. That's my boy, Sam Thousand, who I'm going to see tonight. All the kimonos, Mark Greenberg of the Mayfair Workshop. Yeah, we're going to be back here on Monday. Hopefully you'll join us. Peace. It's an underreported story. It's an underreported Agreed. story that I think deserves more attention. You're killing. You're killing. <laughs> <laughs>